On January 13, 2021, an incident of workplace violence at a manufacturing plant in Hickory, North Carolina, resulted in the shooting death of a 51-year-old woman. The shooter, also a female, then left the premises along with her husband and evaded law enforcement for more than six months. Immediately following the murder, the victim's family was heartbroken and outraged that there was not more done to protect their loved one at her place of employment. In this episode, we'll take a look at workplace violence, the details of the case, and an ongoing wrongful death lawsuit against the company where the murder took place. There is much to love about North and South Carolina, but the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town. Some may involve people that are still missing to this day, but all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 80, The Murder at TCS Designs. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 392 U.S. workers were workplace homicide victims in 2020. Of those victims who died by homicide, 81% were men. 44% were aged 25 to 44. 28% were black and 18% were Hispanic. 30% of workplace homicide victims were performing retail-related tasks such as tending a retail establishment or waiting on customers. Federally regulated industries, such as banking centers, are required to provide their employees with training about workplace violence, sexual harassment and assault, bomb threats, active shooters, and more. I was curious as to what regulations fall under the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, so I visited their website. I found the following information. There are currently no specific OSHA standards for workplace violence. However, under the General Duty Clause, Section 5A1 of the Occupational Safety Health Act of 1970, employers are required to provide their employees with a place of employment that is free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm. The courts have interpreted OSHA's General Duty Clause to mean that an employer has a legal obligation to provide a workplace free of conditions or activities that either the employer or industry recognizes as hazardous and that cause or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm to employees where there is a feasible method to abate the hazard. OSHA has developed enforcement procedures and scheduling for occupational exposure to workplace violence, which provides guidance and procedures to be followed when conducting inspections and issuing citations related to the occupational exposure to workplace violence. An employer that has experienced acts of workplace violence or becomes aware of threats, intimidation, or other indicators showing that the potential for violence in the workplace exists would be on notice of the risk of workplace violence and should implement a workplace violence prevention program combined with engineering controls, administrative controls, and training. A study by OSHA in 2019 revealed that incidents of serious workplace violence are four times more common in healthcare than in the private industry. 
According to that data, 80% of serious violent incidents reported in healthcare settings were caused by interactions with patients. Another form of workplace violence we often hear about involves a situation like what occurred in Concord, North Carolina in September of 2011. On that day, a Lowe's Home Improvement employee named Vivian Young, age 25, died after her 31-year-old husband, poor Yilor, entered a store in Concord, shot her, and then turned the gun on himself. There had been no prior record of domestic violence between the couple before the murder-suicide. But the situation that unfolded in January of 2021 is something we do not often hear about. It involved an incident of violence and murder between two female employees. Philophia Michelle Marlowe, who went by Michelle, was a Caldwell County native, wife, mother of two, and grandmother of two, employed as an upholsterer at TCS Designs. TCS Designs is a manufacturer of upholstered fabric and leather products for both residential and commercial markets located in Hickory. Three years ago, on the afternoon of January 13th, Michelle's co-worker, 49-year-old Tangela Parker, entered the area where she was working and shot her with a 357 Magnum revolver. Michelle turned and tried to run, but Parker then shot her in the back of the head. Following the shooting, Tangela's husband, Eric, who worked as a supervisor at TCS Designs, approached his wife, took the gun from her, and walked her to their car, a beige 2019 Honda CRV. They then left the premises. Michelle was still alive when officers arrived on the scene, but she died at the hospital as a result of her injuries a few hours later. Investigators believed the couple from Alexander County was headed to the Smoky Mountains region of the United States. They enlisted the help of the U.S. Forest Service in the search for Tangela and Eric. The U.S. Forest Service worked to distribute information to all their Park Service and special agents in the area from North Carolina to Tennessee and circulated information around campgrounds. The search also extended to the entire East Coast, with the U.S. Marshal Service offering a $10,000 reward in the case. After Michelle's death, her family heard from people that worked at the plant that Tangela Parker had a reputation for being aggressive and argumentative. Michelle's daughter Michaela said there were times she could hear Tangela in the background yelling at people when she talked to her mother on the phone while she was at work. In an article that ran in the Hickory Daily Record on January 23, 2021, Michelle's husband, Justin, said Tangela had been bullying his wife. The week before the murder, he said the two women had what he called a silly dispute over moving tables in their work area, resulting in a three-day unpaid suspension for Tangela after she threatened Michelle. There was also another previous verbal confrontation on July 28, 2020. At a graveside vigil on what would have been Michelle's 52nd birthday in March of 2021, Justin Marlowe told reporters his wife had been selfless and that she thought about others before she thought about herself. He said he hoped his wife's death would bring more awareness to workplace violence. She would have given anybody a chance, he said. She would have given this woman another chance. There's no reason for this violence. It turns out Tangela and Eric Parker had gone further west than investigators realized. A tip led authorities to Phoenix, Arizona, about six months after Michelle's murder. Federal marshals told WBTV News in Charlotte that the couple had changed IDs, stolen car license tags, 
panhandled for money, and had lived in their car for about 11 weeks. When they were apprehended, they were working for cash at a ranch in Arizona, using the names Jason and Elizabeth Reardon. Once they were expedited back to North Carolina, Michelle's family members were devastated by the next turn of events. A judge with the Catawba County Superior Court reduced Eric Parker's bond from $600,000 to $125,000. He was remanded to custody of his sister and had to wear an electronic monitoring bracelet. His attorney said that his client was present at the site of the murder, but not responsible for harming anyone. He also had no previous criminal history and was not a flight risk. Tangela Parker's bond was set at $250,000, and Michelle's family did not think it was fair that she was able to be released because she could have been considered a flight risk given her actions directly following the crime. After the bond rulings, Hickory Police Chief Thurman Wisnant told the Statesville Record and Landmark, I am extremely disappointed, and in some regard and disbelief, in the decision by the judge on the bond in these cases. Aside from the obvious seriousness of the crime, both of these individuals fled and evaded apprehension for six months. If there were ever a case that demonstrates a flight risk, this is it. The Hickory Daily Record reported that between August 23rd and September 3rd of 2021, friends, family, and church members of Tangela Parker submitted 14 letters on her behalf with the goal of making her eligible for bond. Among other things, the letters said things like, Tangela's parents raised her in church and lived their lives with biblical family morals and Christian values. They instilled these biblical principles in their daughter. Tangela was raised in a loving home and taken to church faithfully. Tangela has always been so sweet, kind, and loving. However, after children grow up, they tend to go their own way. I know I did. Sometimes we make bad choices in life, but that doesn't mean that we forget the values and morals we were raised with. Another letter of support said, Like myself, Tangela was always at church pretty much every time the doors were open. Tangela is several years older than me, and I looked up to her so much. She was always dressed so nice, her hair and makeup always perfect, but what I remember most was how kind she was to me. I was a bratty little kid, and she would let me sit with her during church services and even let me spend the night with her once. Tangela's kindness and great character is what I remember most from my childhood. The Honeycutt family is a wonderful family who raised Tangela in a very nice, loving, caring, and godly home. Tangela's pastor wrote, Being aware of the offense Tangela has been charged with, it is my personal opinion that she is devastated that this happened and regrets her actions. After the newspaper published copies of the letters of support, it received more than 70 comments in response from readers. Here are a few of those comments. I read every single letter and I'm completely disgusted. Just because you know the church version of someone doesn't mean you know the hate in their heart. Image and character are two very different things. Another comment said, While she has already proven she was a flight risk, she had six months to turn herself in and didn't. She needs to stay where she is. And yet another reader wrote, She chose her actions, now needs to face the consequences. Real simple to me. Fourteen letters of support. Seriously, that's all? I can only imagine the letters of support for Michelle Marlowe and her life that was stolen from her and her family. Bond should never have been a topic except to be denied. 
Before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. It's winter time. I don't know about you, but my skin is always in desperate need of moisture during this time of year, and, well, all the other months of the year, too. But I don't like to experiment with a lot of different products at high price points if they won't work for me. Enter the products from SkinX Erin. I use her pre-cleanse oil, hydrating beauty oil, and perfecting night oil, and I was hooked from the first drop. The pre-cleanse gently removes dirt, impurities, and even waterproof makeup without tugging, all without stripping or drying out my skin. In addition to keeping your skin clear, it also helps you, your skin feel firmer and reduces the signs of aging. The Hydrating Beauty Oil is a powerful and effective skin hydrator that never leaves your skin feeling greasy. The Signature Squalane Oil is known for its anti-inflammatory and anti-aging properties. It's perfect for treating skin conditions like acne and eczema and reducing the appearance of wrinkles. The Perfecting Night Oil is loaded with vitamins E and A and is rich with antioxidants and omegas that nourish skin, replenish elasticity, and reduce stretch marks. A few drops a day leave skin smoother, more vibrant, and youthful. Want to try out the products for yourself? Go to shopxaron.com and use the code MISSINGCAROLINAS10 for a 10% discount on your order. True crime is more popular than ever thanks to documentaries, podcasts, and media outlets that produce gripping crime stories. This is great news for writers wanting to explore this market. Crime narratives are not only compelling for consumers, they can also help find justice for victims, their families, and the community. In fiction, using true crime elements and journalistic techniques can help deepen the storyline and add authenticity to characters and plot. Do you enjoy reading and consuming true crime content and would love to find a way to write and publish your own? In a webinar I'll be teaching through WOW Women on Writing next spring, I'll share how to find story ideas, how you can use true crime elements in nonfiction and fiction, where to pitch your true crime work, and more. You also have an opportunity to send an article, outline, or project pitch to me for feedback. The webinar will take place on March 14, 2024, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and will be recorded for those who can't attend in person. The cost is $45, and there are a limited number of spots, so register today at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the Classes tab. And now, let's get back to the show. In late September of this year, 52-year-old Tangela Parker pled guilty to second-degree murder in the shooting death of Michelle Marlowe. Catawba County Chief District Attorney Tim Gould called the murder an execution. The way Parker used the revolver gave this victim no chance. It's not just a murder, it's an execution. You see the hurt she has caused this family, this community. Judge Bradley B. Letts handed down a prison sentence of 241 to 300 months. At the plea hearing, friends and family spoke about the impact of Michelle's murder had on their lives. Her daughter, Mac Marlowe, told the court, January 13, 2021, was not only the day that my mother was murdered, but it is the day my life was forever changed. That is the day I lost my best friend, my rock, my support system. My mother was the one constant that I had in life, the person who had been through it all. My mother didn't have a single bad bone in her body. During the hearing, Tangela's attorney, Victoria Jane, called a psychiatrist and neuropharmacologist to the stand to speak about the defendant's state of mind prior to the murder. The attorney said Tangela was taking Xanax at the time of the shooting 
and the psychiatrist said Tangela told him she took more Xanax than she was prescribed in weeks leading up to the murder. The defense argued that Tangela was in a dissociative state of mind at the time of the murder due to the Xanax. Victoria Jane said Tangela had no memory of the shooting from around lunchtime that day until the next day when she says she woke up and her husband told her what happened. Tangela declined to speak during the hearing. Her defense attorney read the following statement from her instead. I ask the Marlowe family in front of Jesus Christ and all these witnesses to forgive me. I'm sorry for the pain I've caused your family. I pray for your family daily and that our Lord will comfort you when you mourn. Earlier this week, 64-year-old Eric Parker pled guilty to felony accessory after the fact in regards to the murder of Michelle Marlowe. He was sentenced to a minimum of four years for helping Tangela elude arrest. He has already served two and a half years of that sentence. In March of 2022, news outlets reported that Michelle's husband, Justin Marlowe, has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against TCS Designs, its president, and the plant manager, alleging the company knew about Tangela Parker's threats against the victim, but failed to appropriately act. Justin Marlowe believes both Tangela and her husband Eric should have been terminated before the murder was able to occur. According to an article that ran in Furniture Today, Justin Marlowe filed the initial wrongful death claim with the North Carolina Industrial Commission in March 2021, asking for $25,000 in damages. After 11 months of discovery, motions, and mediation, Justin Marlowe then moved to voluntarily dismiss the claim and filed a complaint instead with the Catawba County Superior Court in February 2022. TCS Designs attempted to appeal the lawsuit, but the Catawba County Appellate Court denied the motion. TCS Designs attempted to claim that the trial court did not have jurisdiction over the case as the commission should have had sole jurisdiction over Justin Marlowe's claim, but the appellate court denied that claim. I know there are many listeners out there who have experienced incidents of intimidation and bullying at work. It can take on all forms. According to OSHA, here are some tips employees can take to protect themselves from workplace violence. Learn how to recognize, avoid, or diffuse potentially violent situations by attending personal safety programs. Alert supervisors to any concerns about safety or security and report all incidents immediately in writing. Avoid traveling alone into unfamiliar locations or situations whenever possible. Carry only minimal money and required identification into community settings. In return, employers should encourage employees to report and log all incidents and threats of workplace violence, provide prompt medical evaluation and treatment after incidents, report violent incidents to the local police properly, inform victims of their legal right to prosecute perpetrators, discuss the circumstances of the incident with staff members, encourage employees to share information about ways to avoid similar situations in the future. Offer stress debriefing sessions and post-traumatic counseling services to help workers recover from a violent incident. Investigate all violent incidents and threats, monitor trends and violent incidents by type or circumstances, and institute corrective actions. Discuss changes in the program during regular employee meetings. 
I wanted to talk about one last thing before we wrap up today's episode. In March 2008, I read an article in the Charlotte Observer titled, Helping Link the Dead with Their Names, and I clipped it out. I admired the story of how a Southern man named Todd Matthews became determined to find out who the unidentified woman called Tent Girl was. He heard about the story from his wife, Lori, because her father was the one who came across the woman's deceased body wrapped in canvas during the year 1968 in Kentucky. Guess what? Todd had a calling, and not only did he help give Tent Girl back her name, but he helped found the Doe Network, a nonprofit organization of volunteers who work with law enforcement to help connect missing persons cases with John and Jane Doe cases. He also worked as the former director of case management and communications for NamUs, among other ventures. I saved this article because in the back of my mind I thought, maybe I can do something like that one day. I found out yesterday that Todd passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack. He was only in his early 50s and had plans to finally release his own podcast next month. I had hoped to one day interview him because I admired all he had done to change how we can help give people back their names. He was a true pioneer in the field, all because he had a calling he felt compelled to answer. My prayers and condolences go out to his family and loved ones, but I know how proud and honored they are of his tireless work in the fields of crime and missing unidentified people. This brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Missing in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at www.wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Daniel Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.